So naturally, we jump into immediately having an Ezri episode, which makes perfect sense. They only have one season to work with. They already knew at this point that season seven was the, the cutoff point. So, yeah, logical. We only actually get two more after this, three total Ezri-focused episodes. This Field of Fire and Prodigal Daughter is the other one. So, makes sense. Makes sense. It's a good episode, too. I actually like this one. Even though its entire point is to introduce me to a character that, you know, at this point, I'm already well familiar with. <laughs> Still, you know, you get it. The, uh... It's an interesting point. Where she goes to the orb area where she, you know, was killed. What would that feel like, I wonder? Remember, Jadzia was still conscious to some extent or another for a while afterwards. So she would retain memories, and as she mentioned, she retains memories pretty close to the actual moment of death in every given case. What would that feel like? Like, imagine you die somewhere, and then you have to go back there. Well, you don't have to, but you, you do go back there, and it's like, hmm, you know, it's just down the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to feel a little wonky. Now, <laughs> there's this bit where she says, no, no, I can't stay. I, I'm not going to stay. Now, that's actually interesting, because in real life, when this episode was coming live... There were some friends of mine, as well as some of the online community, were speculating that Dax, new Dax, Ezri Dax, was not going to be a major character, that she was not going to be present for every episode. She is, in fact, in all 25 episodes of Season 7, so go figure. But, uh, anyways, it's just interesting to think about, especially considering that we've already been told, and they even mention in this episode the whole Trill are not supposed to reconnect thing. Although, in this case, they specify it's romantic relationships. Married couples, specifically. <laughs> There's a nice bit where Garak... He's really getting crowded on. Like, the people who are bumping into him are actively being rude. And he kind of snaps at them. What I found amusing about that is Bashir's like, wasn't that a little harsh? No! That was restrained! If someone did that to me, I'd be like, dude! Back the hell off! Clog! And then there'd be a bar fight, and then there'd be a brawl, and then there'd be, you know, base delta zero. And it would just it would just go out of, completely out of control. But what I like most about that scene is the fact that as soon as Garak snaps and lets that, basically lets a little bit of his real feelings out, the mask just slams right down into place. And he's immediately back to smooth and calm and completely composed, as always. Thank you very much. And he just goes and leaves. Very nice little touch there. So then there's the scene where Ezri goes in to talk to Garak to try and talk about the claustrophobia issue, which we've, of course, known about. Funny fact, Andrew Robinson has a bit of claustrophobia himself. Really. Which is funny, because Nana Visitor has a similar problem. <laughs> the things we go through, right? Anyways... <clears throat> So he's talking about it, and she gives her analysis of him and her diagnosis of him, and it's it's got to be the single most amateurish, terrible attempt at psychological analysis and interaction that I have ever seen. Maybe maybe not ever, but good God, I'm pretty sure that I've known people in in when I was 14 who are better at analyzing people than what she tries to do to Garak. She goes for the base-level surface attempt at something that may or may not have an actual connection point to modern events. And given the way he talks about it, it's very clear that this is only being drifted in the wrong direction. Anyone paying attention would tell this is not claustrophobia if they're paying attention to him and how he's talking about what he's talking about. 
And she even mentions, you know, the idea of, oh, maybe that's it. Maybe we're totally still... This is my biggest complaint with this episode, and I do think it is a large complaint. They talk about how she's a psychiatrist, a shrink, a ship's counselor, in training. Okay, sense make. Um, you'd think that even though she only had a few months left before going into full thing, that she'd actually be good at her job. She's not. She's terrible at it. In this episode. That's the problem. So, from an Inca universe perspective, it's kind of pathetic and shows... Well, I suppose I could try to excuse it by saying they're in the middle of a war, but I gotta be blunt. If they're in the middle of a war, they need the aid of ship's counselors more than they ever have. They need to have people who are really good at their job, not Esri Dax, as portrayed in this episode. Now, yes, she's off her game because of the symbiote, and that is an excusable point. But point being, in-universe, this is a little bit eh, and out-of-universe, this is inexcusable. Remember that I mentioned that Jadzia Dax is competent. Now, they wanted Ezri Dax to be firmly established as a different person, neurotic and having issues. Okay, that makes sense. You need to establish that she's a completely different person. I've watched Doctor Who. I get it. But you can't establish Ezri Dax as incompetent because that doesn't get the audience's attention or sympathy. All it does is make us go, wait, you're in charge of, of their mental health? She doesn't even solve Garak's problem. There's a bit where Garak says, I owe it to you. No, you don't. She didn't do anything. All she did was come by to apologize for failing, and you started talking to her. Think about that for a second. <sighs> Forgive me for hammering this point in, but I really feel it poisons the rest of the episode. Because, because she comes across as bumbling in addition to bumbling at her job. Now, let me try to explain this a little bit, because I just realized I'm not doing a good job here. One of the things we've come to accept in fiction, even on Star Trek, is people have quirks, and they have idiosyncrasies, they have personality traits, all sorts of things that make them who they are, right? But when it comes to that thing they're good at, that's what they're good at. They're good at something, right? When it comes down to it, for all of Barclay's flaws, he was a damned good engineer. He was pushing the edge of what engineering could do. There's a reason they were able to recontact Voyager across begrillions of light years, and it's because of Barclay. Right? In other words, the idea here is that, and this is a very common uh, fictional trope, is that we accept someone who has, you know, blah, 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 but they're also good at something. Because, well, let's be honest, just about everyone's good at something. <laughs> at least after after a certain age range. Now, I know Ezra Dax is supposed to be young, but my point stands. My point is, what should have happened is we should have seen a neurotic, dis dis distorted mess who's barely struggling and can't seem to do it. And what should have been the problem is when she first tried to diagnose Garrick, it should have been all about how much she was stumbling over her own issues. Which, if you're paying attention, is exactly what the first scene was. The one I mentioned was very amateur. The problem there was she kept getting confused with her own past lives, and that got in the way of her doing her job. Perfect. Bravo. But the second time she should have pushed out to Garrick, the second time he, he was trying to go out the airlock, she should have been able to lock down and start to really analyze what's going on with him and recognize that this is a person who's throwing up a giant electric fence saying, leave me alone, out of instinct, because that's just the nature of who Garrick is, as well as Cardassians in general. And she should have had some way of maneuvering around that 
which could have then made and, and the whole episode was lined up. The dominoes are there. She 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 loses her confidence. She goes to Cisco and she's like, I'm out. And then Cisco gives her the lashing to push her into the right direction. And so she's like, Okay, okay. Well, before I retire, I, I can't just leave Garrick. I can't leave my patient like this. So she goes back to Garrick and locks in and figures out that this is not about the stupid claustrophobia, not about his father or anything else thing like that. No, this is about the reports. This is about him being a traitor. And, how, and, and just pushing that point and nailing him until he finally admits it and breaks down as he does in the episode. With like a two-minute change to the episode, maybe not even that much, this would have worked out fantastically. Instead, she bumbles into victory. In fact, I would argue she doesn't bumble into victory. She bumbles, and someone else bumbles into victory and credits her for it. And I think that's the problem. It's doing a disservice to the character and to the audience. Other than that, I really like this episode. There, she, <laughs> Nicole Bohr, uh, Bohr, excuse me, does a really good job of a lot of the way she portrays herself as, uh, I know who you are. Like, you can almost see her drift into Dax mode and then Ezri mode, and she kind of shifts back and forth between the two, something that she will kind of start to merge a little bit more as the series goes on. I like the scene with her and Bashir, especially, where he's like, you, you did that, and she's like, don't flirt, don't flirt. And she even mentions Jadzia knew how to deal with it. Very subtle point, but that means, well, it means the flirting's working. It means Ezri's actually being affected by it, and she doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't actually admit that outright, but it's a nice little touch. And then, of course, she puts her hand on Bashir's thing and says, it's okay, I understand. And she does that from the perspective of a friend. There is love there, but it's not that kind of love. This is, I care about you, I'm concerned about you, I'm sorry you have to go through this. Obviously, she cares. Worf is so upset about this incident, he is willing to physically assault Bashir. And more than anything, this helps to show how Worf doesn't get this at all. I've actually referenced this already, and will probably reference this again, because this is going to be a recurring subplot. Worf just does not know how to process this. My wife is dead and gone, and has moved on to heaven, but she's also right there. Now... The problem is, Worf has not yet come to the acknowledgement and recognition that Jadzia Dax is dead, and has moved on, and has probably gone to heaven if it exists, or has been honored in memory if it doesn't. That's Ezri Dax. That's not your wife, Worf. She has her memories. But as I've said very many times, even though it's kind of debatable exactly how the symbiotes work, in all interpretations of the symbiotes, the next person is not the same as the last person. Duh. I mean, that was even established legally back in Dax, which was season one or two, I forget which. So, one other little tidbit. I like the fact that as Worf is, is threatening him, Bashir pushes back and actually manages to, to move Worf's arm a bit. That's a nice little touch, since Bashir is genetically engineered and would be strong enough to be able to start to push back against a fully enraged Klingon. Just a nice little touch. Um, looking at my notes here. Garak goes back to work. You know, it helps. It helps. It's, it, it makes things work. And this is when he really just dissects, really just dives into Ezri and completely destroys her. Which is funny, because he does so with no malicious intent. It's the weirdest thing. 
I know that sounds strange because he says very unpleasant things for her, and he actually cuts himself off by saying, now leave before I say something unkind. Because he is restraining himself there. Again, very Cardassian, very Garak. What he is doing is he is attacking to defend an autonomic response in order to try and ensure that the person does not actually see what they're really feeling and thinking. Something that he himself is having trouble even acknowledging or coming to grips with. Now, I have one last little tidbit about that scene, though, as brilliant as it is. Because I have a personal story to relate to you. Please forgive me. Some of you may know that I've been through a lot of traumas in my life. And I was going through one of them. This is about four years ago now. And I was visiting my step-parents. And I started doing the dishes. Like, what are you doing? And, well, I admitted that doing the dishes always helps to calm me down, to relax me. Because it's work. You know, work helps me feel better, of course. But it's also getting something done. It's making something clean. It's contributing. I'm helping someone else. I'm giving to someone else. It actually hits a surprisingly large number of checkboxes for me. I was, I was thinking about this. Because, you know, I like things being clean. So I like cleaning in general. I like working in general. I like helping other people, you know. Since I'm usually doing other people's dishes, I have very few dishes to do in my home. And so doing dishes has kind of become something I do when I'm emotionally or mentally distraught. When I'm having issues, I'll just go and do the dishes for a bit. It just kind of helps me to focus. It's something nice and mundane. You don't have to share, of course, but I'm curious how many of you guys have something like doing the dishes in your lives. So I kind of relate it to Garak on that one. <laughs> Ah, uh, there's this nice bit. There's this nice bit. Uh, Cisco is probably the one person who effortlessly and seamlessly embraces and accepts Ezri Dax as Ezri Dax. He does so just smoothly. Everyone else is not quite sure how to deal with it. He's the one who's just like, hey, what's going on? How are things, old man? You know, <laughs> as if it was a Tuesday to him. And that makes sense. After all, he's been through this before. This is the third Dax he's known now, not the second. So, I just kind of like that little touch. It, it makes a lot of sense. He also, admittedly, has also had more time to interact with her. And she was there for him. Esri Dax was there for him at a moment he really needed her. So, kind of makes sense. There's this really great bit where O'Brien goes to confront Worf. He even brings up the blood wine. I told you this is the recurring season. So they flat out acknowledge the blood wine incident earlier. And I love how Worf just sees the blood wine. He's like, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not again. Well, we could skip it and just talk. There's nothing to talk about. And Worf gets angry to the point where most people would probably be legitimately afraid to be around him. O'Brien doesn't even flinch. And he doesn't back down either. This is an unpleasant and uncomfortable situation, but you do have to deal with this, Worf, because you are being unkind to someone else as a consequence of your discomfort. And it made me think of something. I really wish over the series, because this is it, this is kind of the last time we'll see this, I really wish we'd seen more friendship between O'Brien and Worf. I know that sounds stupid, and don't mistake me, the Bashir and O'Brien friendship is awesome. But Worf never really made any close friends on DS9. Not really. And I think O'Brien would have been a nice fit for that. Ignoring the fact that O'Brien's the kind of guy who's very easy to get along with, well... He's also someone who's known Worf for a really long time. I mean, remember, he's been around since Encounter at Farpoint, so... as missed opportunities. So, the episode ends. Garrick 
he, he laments how much of a traitor he is. And it's interesting, because that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Remember, Garak, above many other things, is a patriot. He really legitimately loves his people and his... I'm going to stop there. His people. And so the idea of him doing this, the idea of this, him betraying his people and getting them all killed by deciphering these reports, of course that's driving him nuts. I could have told you that, although I actually know Garrick as a character because I've spent you know, two years analyzing him. <laughs> but looking at this, God, it's amazing he's dealing with this as well as he is, given the circumstances. What I love about it most, though, is that once he acknowledges it, he is able to process it better. Because, well, that's how life is, isn't it? Once we acknowledge our problems, we can then work to mentally process them and work through them better than if we are not really cognizant of the actual core issue. Right? I mean, I've seen that historically many times in my own, in my own experiences of the last 38 years. So... Or 37 years. I, I, I say that weirdly because I'm not sure when this episode's going live. I'm 37 as of recording it, so make of that what you will. Pretty sure this will go live after I have turned 38, though. <laughs> Point remains. Point remains that I feel for him. Good news is after, like, four very heavy, dark, serious episodes in a row, next week, we're just going to go have fun. I remember liking this episode, but we'll talk about it when we get there. I'll see you next time, guys.